0: Good morning, everybody. It's Stefan Molyneux from Freedom, Maine, the 24th of January, 2021. I hope you are doing well. I hope you are staying safe and sane and rational and courageous and smart in these troubled, troubling, yet not entirely disastrous times. Uh, I'll get into that. I'll do another show later today, sort of sharing my thoughts about the current scene. But we're going to turn to a country I've talked about fairly extensively over the course of the show, a country that I visited twice, that my father lived and worked in for most of his career. I am, of course, talking about South Africa. And we're going to talk to a farmer from South Africa and the challenges that he's facing in the world that is down there. So thank you for taking the time this morning or this afternoon or evening. So the listener writes, hi, Steph. I am a farmer in South Africa, and I am at my wit's end. I don't know if you can help me, but you seem to help so many others on your show. I've always been the sheepdog keeping everyone around me safe, the type of guy that never got stressed, that could keep a level head in any situation, be it putting out a fire when my neighbor's house burnt down to swimming out to saving some schoolgirl rowers when a squall came up and they couldn't get back to shore. I've been held hostage three times in foreign countries, and all this I handled with minimal stress. The last few years, I finally got to achieve my dream of farming, providing healthy food to my community, while restoring degraded land. About two and a half years ago now, some political parties started pushing the expropriation without compensation narrative pretty hard, and since then, my farm has been hit 16 times. Equipment and livestock stolen, my whole cattle herd slaughtered, even the young calves that I had raised all by myself over the past five years. These were like my children. My fences are also cut almost on a weekly basis. After that, I took a big hit mentally. I suffered panic attacks. Often, when I go to bed, I wonder if I'll get killed in my sleep or be woken up by someone coming in to torture me first. One day last year, I was mowing firebreaks in preparation for our fire season, but my tractor stalled and I could not start it. Something that before would be a minor mechanical difficulty sent me into shock. I barely knew where I was, battling to breathe and bawling with tears. Since then, I have sought therapy, as you suggest, in your shows. I had all but fully recovered and was focusing on immigration plans. It looks like I'll be in the UK taking up a job there around March if COVID doesn't close the borders again. So I thought the worst was behind me. Well, this evening one of my neighboring farms was attacked, and three of the residents killed. I now am back where I was before, like I'm in a fog with a gorilla on my chest. I don't know what I'm hoping for, maybe just an encouraging word, or maybe just for someone somewhere else in the world to know my story if I'm next on the list of farmers to be killed. Thank you for trying to bring rationality to this increasingly crazy world. God knows we need it here, and thank you for all you do. Your shows have helped me a lot to see and avoid some potentially terrible relationships. I am very sorry to hear about all of this. Uh, I obviously, you can't say that I'm terribly shocked. But um, why, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your history and uh, where your heart and mind is at right now? Uh,
1: yeah, well, I, yeah, I grew up in the suburbs, do not, a, not don't come from a farming family or anything uh but was always interested in, in in nature and uh yeah raising good food and it. <clears throat> uh, I worked in, in engineering before that uh or before coming into farming and uh worked all around the world uh doing industrial automation and that that's where the I was held hostage in that in, in foreign countries. Um and uh yeah, I uh, got the opportunity to start farming and did uh, I grew my farm from a uh, small small spot of, of land four square meters growing tomatoes and reinvested the money I made from that over and over again uh, getting into chickens and then into into cattle uh, so that's the, the the idea of the you know, the whites that stole land and stuff I, I definitely worked for for everything I built up uh and uh yeah now it's it's basically all been taken from me uh uh i'm still in the in the area but uh i can't farm anymore i was actually making uh i was basically losing money <clears throat> so i've had to stop farming because there's no point in as they're buying more livestock in that when when they just keep on getting stolen and slaughtered uh Say so I, I was planning to immigrate, and I had a job offer in the states and in, in England, but the US has now closed its uh, immigration for because of COVID, and uh, the UK job now is looking a bit uh, precarious now too. Uh, also, with the borders being closed with COVID,
0: so kind of stuck at the moment, yeah. How long have you been farming as, as a whole, and what's sort of the general trajectory of your farm experience been? I mean, I, I assume it started off started off better than, than it is now. So what's the story of that? Yeah, so about, uh, I think about seven years total farming now. So it
1: started off very small scale, just like a market garden, and then uh, grew that to, to where I could afford to, to lease a, a farm. And then, yeah, building that up uh, to the point where I was uh, about a year ago, uh, or two years ago when all this started. And then, uh, yeah, I'm down to, I, I do bees as well. and That's all I've, I'm still doing, to honey
0: production. And as far as the arc of safety, goes you say sort of seven years ago has it escalated really since this expropriation stuff uh, and the propaganda that you know whites just invaded and stole all of these wonderfully complex farms from the blacks in south africa which of course is not true but but is, is it that narrative that has escalated over the last couple of years or when did you really start to notice the vandalism and sabotage increasing
1: yeah um the, the narrative has been going on for probably I don't know, 20 odd years now but it wasn't very prevalent in, in the area where i am um when i when i started when i moved to this area about seven years ago it was probably one of the safest areas in the in the region um we were there's some like the the guy that i learned my beekeeping from uh, my mentor he's in a different province and there, so seven years ago, they were starting to have, they had a, a, basically a murder in their, in their, in their road uh, at least once a week. Um, down here, it was uh, in my province, it was sort of almost unheard of. But in the last uh, probably three or four years, it's got quite bad.
0: Well, I assume that the people who want to drive out the whites and take their land, uh, or the farmers, you could say, and black farmers also get targeted. I don't think quite as much. But I assume that they're simply targeting the areas that are less violent with increased violence. Uh, it's going to be a shifting kind of assault, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, well, it seems to be be all over now. <clears throat> I think there were certain areas that were a bit more political. Um, so my province is not a very politically charged province. Uh, but now it's spread to to the whole country.
0: Right, and what happened to your neighbor?
1: Uh, I was I was at uh, do archery as a sport. I was out at practice. I got a I got a message on our, our area WhatsApp group that there was a attack in progress. And uh, a few minutes later, I got another message saying. Uh, not to come because uh, our police are basically non-existent. Uh, Like, our our local police station has, I think, 12 officers over three shifts. And they cover an area, I don't know what the the actual physical area is, but there's like over a million people in that area. so yeah, four four officers on a shift to cover over a million inhabitants. Uh, so we've we've got our we've sort of set up a community watch kind of thing. And so I got the message and was about to to head out there to to try help them, and I got a message about five minutes later saying not to come. On the group, and so uh, I messaged the guy back privately that had um, had sent that and he said uh, that the three residents were dead um, they had been chopped up with uh, uh, machetes and that was apparently over um, over bonuses uh, was what they, they said that they, the farmer couldn't pay bonuses this year because of COVID they had still received their full pay and everything just that they couldn't get Christmas bonuses, and so they the the workers had gone home, got the machetes, and come back and and chopped them up.
0: Was, uh, do you know if there was the attendant torture that often accompanies these kinds of attacks, or was it just straight just straight up massacre?
1: Uh well, uh, just being chopped up with a machete is. is- pretty torturous. Uh, Yeah, it's not just like they were just cut down in one or two swings, they were chopped
0: into pieces. Was it uh, a family or mostly just men?
1: No, it was uh, uh, the the farmer, his wife and uh, his father-in-law, mother-in-law that stayed with them on the property.
0: And I assume that uh, not, it's not exactly like the killers are about to be hauled into justice, uh, e- even though, of course, we assume, given that it's the farmers' workers, there's some idea at least of who they were or who they might have been. Uh,
1: it actually, it as bad as it sounds, it's one of the, the better cases. Um, our K9 unit did actually manage to track them down and they were arrested. Um, uh, I'm not sure of the, the outcome of the... Well, I presume it hasn't gone to court yet, um, so I don't know what the outcome of that is. But it's, it's it's the only only attack that I know of where where anyone was actually arrested.
0: Oh, okay, okay, I see,
1: I see. Uh, we've had a couple of others like uh, a few months previous. Um, the whole family is about five, six people. Um, they they were beaten. And to the point where I couldn't actually identify them. Uh, they had so many stitches and swelling, and that uh, the son was shot in the neck. Luckily, they all survived, but uh, yeah, there were no, no arrests made in that one. Uh, earlier on in our last year, uh, there was a a, a woman and, and two kids uh, that people came into the house, pepper sprayed them. Luckily, she was able to get herself and the two kids into lock themselves in the bedroom and put a message out on the group. And that one, luckily, within five, 10 minutes, we had 15 farmers there. And we managed to scare them off. Again, we didn't manage to catch them. But uh, that could have been a whole lot worse if, if the community hadn't got there.
0: Well, and it's pretty horrifying to think that this is what passes for luck these days, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So when did the sabotages and other forms of destruction begin to escalate on your farm?
1: Uh, It was probably about a year after I moved to that piece of land.
0: So yeah, about two years ago now. Was it a slow escalation or was it like a light being turned on, so to speak?
1: Uh, There was a it started off uh, just like small bits, you a, a brush cutter, yeah, and a ladder there, and then then escalated to livestock, and then uh, eventually like the, the big stock. And that as well started off with this, just just a couple of chickens or whatever, and then uh, then the, the cattle, and then whole whole pens of chickens, and uh, that was like in the the later. Yeah, Oh, my, my email to you it was what, 16 at that stage it eventually ended up being 20 22 robberies in in one year and every week the at least once a week the fence
0: was getting cut well and of course knowing that people are roaming around your property with significantly ill intent is terrifying i mean it's really alarming Uh, it's the stuff you talked about before terrifying though it was it was well what they used to call one and done right like it's one thing and then you're done whereas this of course is chronic right and escalating so it's going in the wrong direction and so that that i think is probably why your fight or flight mechanism is not able to calm down because you know the fight or flight mechanism is supposed to calm down when the threat has passed you know you You either escape the lion or you don't. But you don't have the lion hang around for another six months or a year or five years straight in your house, uh, then it's a little tough to, well, it's impossible really to wind yourself down because you're, you're unconscious. Your autonomous nervous system is signaling to you, and rightly so, I would imagine, that you're in a situation of significant threat, danger. And you can't really ramp that stuff down in yourself until the danger has passed and given that the danger A is not passing and B seems to be escalating, I don't know that a therapist can talk you out of a kind of anxiety that is kind of there to save your life perhaps, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, like, uh, with uh, the therapy, uh, yeah, I got to
0: talk about it it a bit which
1: sort of was a little bit of a relief. Uh, But I think one of the big things that helped me at that stage was that we actually caught two guys stealing some of the, you know, the chicken feeders and stuff on the farm and uh, they were arrested. But, and it was kind of like, I could put a a face to to it, you know, because there's people roaming the property all the time at night. Um, You just see the effects that they were there. You're not actually, yeah, it's like a, like a lion hiding in the grass, you know. You if you can actually see them, you can defend yourself. When you can't, when you can't see the threat, um, it just makes it a lot, lot more,
0: uh, lot more scary, you know. So well, like and after, you know, it's entirely possible that they're the... they're probing for defenses, right? They're probing to see what kind of defenses you have, uh, and that kind of probing is part of the perhaps the, the escalation that you might be sensing. Yeah. Right, right. And in the region that you're in, you say sort of the million people or so, do you, I mean, you must know of, of other attacks or predations of this kind?
1: Yeah, I would say there was uh, well, there was, like, three fairly close to me in the last six months or so. Uh, and then and I, in the yeah, more in the say 100k radius is uh, quite a lot more.
0: And what are your capacities for self defence in these situations? Uh, are people often prosecuted for defending themselves, or is it something that's recognised as a right, or how does that play?
1: Uh, no, it, it's if you defend yourself, uh, unless you can prove that you were under direct threat. Um, you you would get charged. Um, uh, sorry, I'm getting a bit flustered here. Um, you, like even if there's someone in the house with a weapon, um, unless you can prove that they were actually coming towards you with it and at, uh, an immediate threat, you, you're not allowed to defend yourself. And how on earth are
0: you supposed to prove that? That's a problem, yeah. Right, so you're kind of caged in almost by your own fences, and then your right of self-defense is largely stripped from you. In fact, it's not even like you don't have a right of self-defense. It's that your right of self-defense is almost turned against you, often. And so yeah, I don't often, see any... Sorry, go ahead.
1: Uh, often, with these breakers, that they, they will break in and take firearms and stuff. Our our police station was actually... There was an attempted robbery at the police station. Um, A a group of people that have been known to be attacking farms uh, tried to rob the police station of of firearms. Uh, The the only plus to that attack was that the guy who was on duty at that stage was out back smoking. And he heard the thing inside and, and got the drop on them because... You know, he wasn't where he was supposed to be, basically. Um, you know, also, obviously, we not we don't have any Second Amendment or whatever. Yeah, so it's very difficult to get firearms. And that's so defending yourself when you're alone, is, especially against a group of heavily armed people. uh not easy. Uh, as far as defenses, I, I sleep with a knife and an axe next to my bed.
0: And that's basically all i've got i imagine that the sleep is rather in quotes these days listening for sounds and and so on right yeah i don't sleep very uh very soundly uh,
1: yeah, any any sound and i'll be up and looking around for it uh even our, if i have friends stay over which is not uh not very common anymore because uh uh, I feel responsible if anything had happened to them. So I don't generally have people out to my, my home anymore. Um, and yes, if there's any, any movement in the house, um, yeah, you hear a rat or something, and you know I'll be up for the next three hours or so, you know, just lying there,
0: listening for, for anything else. Right. And when did you decide to leave? Uh, after after my
1: cattle were slaughtered, it was was quite visceral to so say like I, I raised all those cattle myself. Uh, yeah, from the calves, three-month-old calves, they probably only weighed 20 kilos, 25 kilos. Um, there wouldn't even have been any meat on them really. So it was just like a senseless slaughter. And uh, we, we've managed to track down where they had, had herded them away, and we, we found the, the skins in the heads, where they had, had slaughtered them. And that kind of just sort of made me crack there. Um, and like these were, as i said, I, I raised them by hand, I, I had no no assistance on the farm, I did everything myself. Um, so when they were sick and that, I don't know, if, you know uh, like a, a cow, if they if they're sick and they they can't stand up uh, for more than about 24 hours, the the cow'll never stand again because their their weight they'll cut off the blood circulation and and yeah they'll lose the use of their limbs. So I'd be like sleeping out in the field, sort of flipping them over, and it's like a half-ton animal flip it over every hour or two, so to keep circulation and that. So I was very very connected with my animals and as I say it's like a family member was killed you
0: know? Oh yeah, no, I mean farmers can be closer to their animals than pet owners with their pets, without a doubt mm-hmm. because they do require so much maintenance and care and you often will birth them yourself uh, elbow deep into the birth canal of a heifer and uh, no, it's it's a very, very I mean, an intimate relationship sounds like a corny silly joke, but Uh, Yeah, farmers are very, I mean, because, you know, you think, oh, they're just raised for milk and meat and so on. It's like, but, and maybe that's more true of factory farming, but I certainly know that the smaller time farmers are pretty close to their animals and uh, try to give them a good life and all of that. And so, yeah, when, when they're killed, it's not just like, I mean, if you love your car and somebody steals your car and you find it in pieces, that's pretty bad. But it's not a live animal that you've actually had a relationship with, so. Yeah, no, it's a it's a very different kind of thing for for farmers and their livestock, especially the smaller farmers.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, the story with because if you're close to leaving, and you know, I obviously, as you know, in this show, I never tell people what to do There's no no point in that. But I certainly can say that if I were in your shoes, I'd be clawing to get out. I don't see a I don't see a future in in this scenario. Or if it is a future, it's not not probably not a very long one. And so, what's going on? We said the job in England looking a little uh, shaky. Is it COVID related, or is it something else? Or
1: yeah, well, um, there were two issues. As uh, the the first company, um, my my stepfather works there, and they said that because there's a family connection, that they wouldn't uh, allow that one. Um, uh, we found another company, another job, which is was a possibility, but they, um, you yeah, know, they don't have as much work at the moment because of COVID, and so they're saying that they might not be able to afford to take on another person now. So, yeah, we, we just it's where where things were looking uh, a year ago, we're looking. Yeah, almost almost the certainty I was going to go within the next 12 to 18 months. Uh, it's now, it, It's uh, I'm not sure. It's kind
0: of all up in the air at the moment. Well, leaving can be tough. It can be quite complicated. I mean, even pre-COVID, I'm talking as I have to a number of people from South Africa, both on this show and, and in person, leaving is pretty tough. It's quite complicated. And especially, of course, if you're a farmer, it's not like people are lining up to take that farm off your hands for a fair price. Right. A lot, a lot of people want to get into that line of work at the moment. So, uh, thankfully I was just leasing the farm
1: there. So I don't have, have that issue. Um, uh, but yeah, well, like yes, farm, but the I'll money, even it. the money
0: you've poured into maintenance, upkeep livestock, uh, improvements, yeah. machinery, and so on. Right. It's not like somebody is going to want to pay you back for all of that. I assume. Right.
1: Yeah. But yeah, my family has been in this country for, for so many generations now that we, we don't have any options of ancestral visas or anything to other countries. Um, you know, you have got politicians and a lot of the population that say, yeah, you must go back to where you came from. Um, say I say, I came from, yeah, I was born here. Yeah, my father was born here. Yeah, my grandfather was born here. Yeah.
0: Uh, I don't know where I'm supposed to go back to you. Uh, Well, this is what people don't usually understand because they hear a lot of propaganda. They don't usually understand that whites have been in South Africa longer than the whites have been in America. And so if you have people who sailed over with the Mayflower and, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, they're told to go back where they came from. Their descendants, it wouldn't really make a whole lot of sense. But, you know, the whites in South Africa have always been portrayed as, you know, an invading force that displaced the black population, stole their land and so on which you, know, you and I, and I'm sure a good number of this audience know, it's simply a false Marxist narrative. The Marxist narrative being, of course, that everybody who's successful has stolen from people who aren't successful. And the South Africa was largely empty when the whites arrived because it was so difficult to farm and there wasn't enough game for the Bantu to, to live on, who were the blacks to the north. And after the Land was settled and it was traded for and it was bought uh, from from the leaders uh, of, of the local tribes, the Khoi and the San, where they were encountered, but mostly the, the land was empty and it was fertilized and irrigated by the Dutch and the British uh, 17th century uh, onwards. And it was created uh, out of nothing for the most part, largely empty land, very low farming potential, very low gain potential and it was transformed into a modern economy and during the process of it being transformed into a modern economy the bantu the the blacks from the north generally fled black rule or corrupt rule from uh, various colonial administrations and were desperate to get into south africa even to the point where they would risk you know traversing the the grasslands and you know being eaten by lions and and other predators, they were desperate to get into South Africa, and uh, in many ways they were welcomed, and they got access to modern food levels, modern levels of medicine and and education and so on, and there was, of course, the hope that it was all going to work out, and uh, we'll never know, of course, whether it could have worked out or not, because given the differences between the blacks and the whites as a whole, there are going to be differences in outcome between the groups. And whether that could have been talked about, discussed, remediated, we'll never know. Because of course, the Marxists swoop in and say, ah, all the group differences arise from the evil white people stealing from the noble and virtuous black people. And uh, you know, next thing you know, they stoke this kind of uh, violence. And so unfortunately, we'll never know how well we could have gotten along, because there are too many sophists in there stoking divisions and hatreds. So I'm sorry to take a real sprint through something you know very well, but uh, is there any sort of major thing that I missed out on there?
1: No, it's very true, um, and like even even down to the you say, but uh, developing, irrigating, and and uh, stuff. Like even the the piece of land where I was farming, uh, you know, I, I couldn't afford fertile, well developed land. So the the farm I rented was pretty degraded. uh, Eroding poor soils, and through my own management in the, the two years that I was farming that land, I, I tripled the grazing capacity on it by by proper management. So even even in modern times, like we're still improving lands and and what would be considered unproductive land. Some of the other farmers in the area told me I was wasting my time on that farm, uh, and. By the time all this problem started, it was it was actually becoming quite profitable, and that I was I was almost at a point where I could quit my quit my day job and and farm full time.
0: Oh, so uh, this was a hobby farm for you initially, right?
1: Yeah, well, I, I couldn't afford to do it full time uh, initially, um, so I don't come from any wealth or anything. Uh, so I needed a, a day job to to be able to to feed myself while I, I started up the farm. Was, uh, I couldn't afford to buy a farm that was or lease a farm that was uh, uh, sort of good enough to to support me straight out the bed. Uh, so I was, I was working uh, 16, 18 hours a day. I get up four o'clock in the morning, see to my chickens, the cows, uh, then go to work, work a full eight hour day come home, work again until sunset, make myself some dinner, and then I'd work on on other projects, building brooders and my beehives and all that kind of infrastructure stuff at night until I don't know, 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night. Uh, go to bed and start the whole thing again. Uh, and then weekends, 16 hours on the farm for, for the weekends. And uh,
0: so yeah, it was two two full time jobs. <laughs> uh, have you talked to your therapist about workaholism at all? I mean, don't get me wrong, I love a good fellow <laughs> Protestant work ethic. I, I'm I'm down with that. Built the modern world, all kinds of cool stuff like that, and you know, I'm I'm pushing five thousand shows, so uh, I know what it's like. And you know, ten books and uh, audio and all that. So I know what it's like to work hard. But man, you're like you've leveled up beyond even the stratosphere that I can see and what is the story with this is something you've done your whole life this level of work
1: uh not not to that extent uh, but uh, this was my passion uh, i always wanted to farm and that was the only way i could afford to do it is by, by working the day job to to be able to to, so I could reinvest the money from the farm back into the farm to, to get it up and running. Uh, It's not cheap to buy livestock and put in infrastructure and buy implements. And uh, so it it probably wouldn't have carried on like that forever. As soon as I could have gone full time on it and that then it would have reduced to a sort of a normal thing. And once the infrastructure was in
0: place, uh, yeah, I mean, you haven't mentioned anything about a wife and kids, and I understand why you'd want to keep some of that information private, but uh, is that something you have or aim to have?
1: It's something I've, I've always wanted. Um, I've, I've always wanted a wife and children. Uh, this is one, one of the reasons I, I, I like the idea of farming is that I could then be sort of working from home, that I could actually spend time with my, my kids when I eventually had them uh my, my father wasn't yeah you know, he worked long hours and that he worked shift and that so i often didn't get to see him and i didn't want that for my kids so i thought yeah, you know farming you know the kids can be there on the farm and playing around on the farm it's they can have more time to actually spend with them and um, teach
0: them and pass along something of value to them
1: exactly yeah um and but yeah, at the moment, uh, I, I, that's one of the reasons I to, uh, decided to immigrate is because, well, to try to immigrate, because at this point, uh, I feel that I, as much as I, I, I like nothing in the world better than to to have the kids and that I, I don't want them growing up in this environment. Uh, like even at work now, I get told by my colleagues that you know, I owe them because I'm because of my skin color, um, and stuff. Like that. And I don't want my kids growing up in in that that kind of environment.
0: Oh yeah. Uh, so just just who those who don't know, and of course, fill me in wherever I go astray. But this the Black Empowerment Program in South Africa. Even though blacks are by far the majority in South Africa, uh, whites are still discriminated against when it comes to hiring policies. So affirmative action is not based upon white majority status because whites are a minority now and are still heavily legally discriminated against when it comes to getting work to the point where hundreds of thousands of whites are functionally unemployable and living in shanty towns. And, and you know, I guess they say, serves you white for Soweto, but that's a whole other story. But yeah, so the, the affirmative action thing doesn't, you know, here in America, Eric Holder not too long ago said, oh, with regards to affirmative action, we've barely even begun. And, you know, it's been in place for, what, 40, 50 years. So yeah, just that there's no illusion, just so there's people aren't under any illusion that uh, affirmative action is going to diminish when whites become a minority. Uh, South Africa is is you know pretty clear evidence that mm. that's not what happens, and it makes it very hard to get a job as a, uh, a white man, a white woman.
1: Now, even, even down to the point where now during COVID, um, it was was stated categorically by by government that, that white businesses and that weren't, weren't eligible for COVID relief. Um, so, if you are a, a black business owner, you could get uh, assistance from the government, and if you're a white
0: business owner,
1: you've got nothing.
0: Well, and there's uh, none of this self-identify as a black business owner nonsense, right? I mean, <laughs> you really got to show it, no, <laughs> pretty vividly. No, that definitely doesn't cut it, yeah. Right, right. <sighs> Now, with regards to where you are as a farmer, I mean, if you were going to, was it, you said, uh, sorry, you said March, which I thought maybe meant this March, but then you also said 12 to 18 months. So the March thing for the job at the UK, was that this March or next March?
1: Uh, it's supposed to be the UK thing um, that only came through, well, the, that offer only came through late last year. So it was supposed to be March this year. Um, and
0: that's the one that's kind of uncertain, right?
1: Yeah. Um, the the one in the, the States, um, the, the specific visa thing that the, the company was applying for, um, they said that would take about 18 months to go through. and But obviously, that's all been scrapped now because of the, the COVID lockdown there.
0: Oh, yeah. No, you're uh, only going to be able to get into the U.S. if you're three. part of a caravan from Guatemala these days. So, yeah, no, no hardworking people with a resume need apply, right? Yeah, I was thinking maybe
1: with Biden and that I need to book a book a flight to to Mexico or something
0: and, and take a walk up north. Right, right. Seems the uh, seems the only way in at the moment. Listen, you're you're a smart guy, so I'm not trying to solve any of your problems for you because. I'm sure you've thought over this just just sort of put my own mind at ease though with regards to the UK thing is there possibility of I'll work for free for six months or reduce salary or I'll just take commission so it doesn't cost you unless I make money for you is there any negotiating options for their concerns with regards to the profitability of their firm under the COVID regime?
1: Yeah the the company itself they don't really have an issue with wouldn't have an issue with that but uh, according to their, their visa regulations and that they, they don't want people coming in that are going to sort of undercut the local market and that so their requirement is that they the company has to pay you uh, a certain minimum and it has to be at the, the going rate uh for for the job that you're doing
0: right okay so okay that, yeah and i assume that. that there was some regulation there that would keep you from being able to make yeah. those kinds of uh, uh, offers or, or have those right. kinds of opportunities, so. Yeah,
1: like the, the other issue, I looked at some other countries in that as well. And like, as far as as, as farming and that goes, so I'd like, say, uh, the, the jobs offers that I've got are both on the, the engineering side, which is uh, where, where more of my experience is. And on the, the farming side, um, like there was some thing a while back about like Australia wanting farmers and that, uh, but it came down to that they, they will accept you as a farmer, but they require you to have a degree. And the reality is, like, I don't think I know a single farmer that has a degree in farming.
0: <laughs> right, uh,
1: right. You know, It's kind of something that most guys have learned on the land. You
0: know. Well, it's uh, like saying, uh, well, there's no way when Steve Jobs was alive, there's no way people would hire him because he doesn't have a degree in software or hardware engineering. Same thing mm-hmm. with Bill Gates and, and uh, I assume, Steve Ballmer and these kinds yeah. of people. So, yeah, the educational requirement is just a bunch of bureaucratic yeah. nonsense. Uh, you know, When, when I was a, a hiring manager at the software firm that I co-founded, I specifically preferred hobbyists to people with degrees. Because mm-hmm. the people who could say, oh, yeah, I've been programming since I was 10 years old, I love it. Those are the people who are really passionate about it. The people who went to get degrees, you know, maybe some of them are passionate, but the vast majority of them, well, this seems like a sensible profession, and they just, they don't have the same passion for it that the hobbyists do. And I don't want to sort of diminish you by saying, oh, you're just a hobbyist, but it is a passion that you learned as an intelligent guy on the fly, and that is something that's kind of impossible to replicate just with a piece of paper.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I've spent thousands of hours studying it myself and reading a lot of books and Researching online and doing my own trials and stuff. So yeah, I, I've taught myself. Uh, probably spent more hours doing that than uh, I spent actually when I was studying uh, at at Technicol.
0: Right. And uh,
1: uh, as far uh, as other I, as, as far I, as sorry, actual, um, sorry as, in terms of our employers, on that they would be. They a lot of them would be happy with with us as as what you say is hobbyists, but it's uh, the actual government, so they won't give you a visa uh, with, without the qualification.
0: Yeah, and, you know, of course, there's a very strong case, in my opinion, to be made that the white farmers in particular, I think whites as a whole, but white farmers in South Africa are, you know, fit, fit the definition of refugees, right? They're specifically target because of ethnic origins. There is a a campaign of of legal discrimination against whites uh, as a whole in South Africa. There is um, uh, ideological motives behind the attacks. The attacks generally have a political aim of driving the white farmers off, so it's terrorism. It's not just people coming to steal stuff. There is a specific political agenda behind it that meshes with the government agenda of uh, land expropriation, which, you know, because theft is apparently just too too short a word. And so to my mind, yeah, there is specific terroristic targeting out of an ethnic group based upon ethnicity with political goals in mind. And this is why I sort of asked about the torture, because you could understand from an evil standpoint, killing someone who's between you and a pot of gold But leisurely torturing the farmers uh, for some hours uh, or, or half a day, which has certainly happened in the past, is an act of terrorizing and terrorism rather than simply greed for stuff. And so I think that the white farmers in particular in South Africa would fit the definition of refugees by any reasonable standard. But of course, nobody wants to talk about that. Right. Because certainly when I was younger, South Africa was the great evil with apartheid and, and so on. And, and so now saying that uh, the, all of the, and particularly true of the artists and the filmmakers and so on, I think Peter Gabriel with, with his warbling songs about oppression in South Africa and so on, I don't think people want to look back and, and check the rear view and say, hey, how's this experiment going? How's, you know? What's the value of the rand? What's the value of the real estate? What's the uh, economic freedom index? What's you know how how the whites being treated and and so on and people don't want to circle back and if of course the whites in South Africa were classified as refugees, then gates would open to to other countries, but there would be a huge PR problem for the leftist media as to what happened in South Africa after this self righteous chest thumping of the eighties and nineties about how it was going to be a rainbow paradise after apartheid. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, there's just a lot of political obstacles to what I think would be a just categorization of particularly white farmers as refugees.
1: Yeah, very true. I think the other reason that they also sort of got away with this is that uh, a lot of the the direct sort of hate and uh, incitement that's been going on is not coming directly from uh, from the ruling party, but uh, from from Julius Malema and them in the, the EFF, which is a, a, a sort of breakaway party that came uh, that broke off from the, the ruling party, the ANC. And uh, while he still gets away with a lot, it, it's kind of like well, it's not the official government stance. It's just this other party, though the third biggest political party in the country still, but. And, like, there was an incident, uh, what was about three, four months ago, uh, where he got up at a rally and was singing a, a song. Uh, it goes, uh, Call the fire brigade, we're going to burn them down. And the next day, it was something like over over 10,000 hectares of farmland was settled out, burnt uh, out uh, grazing and sheds and everything. And they, they say, no, but that wasn't an incitement. He didn't specifically tell them to go burn it. And it's like, but there seems a pretty good causal relationship there. Um, you know, they, they're trying to say that Trump incited the the, the thing on the Capitol. And I think it's, there's a much better causal relationship between singing burn them down and the very next day, you know, yeah,
0: over 10,000 hectares being set out. Oh, well, this is you know, like piercing the halo of Saint Nelson Mandela. did a whole presentation on this, which I can link to below. This conversation just about, uh, you know, singing kill the Boer, which is kill, kill the whites. And uh, mm-hmm. this terrorism that that he engaged in and, and approved in and Marxist history. And, you know, I mean, it was a, it's a radical Marxist, violent uh, guy. And, of course, uh, sainted by the leftist media. And, oh, it's, yeah, it's... Uh, it's, it's one of these situations where you realize, of course, I mean, you know this, of course, right? But you're talking about the comparisons between Trump saying, go and protest peacefully at the Capitol. And then somehow he's inciting riots, whereas this guy saying, burn down the farmland. And the very next day, 10,000 uh, acres or hectares are, are burnt down. Uh, well, this is because, of course, the laws of justice and morality do not o- operate like the laws of physics. Uh, they are very, very selectively. Applied and usually used to advance the course of immorality rather than defend any just or virtuous cause itself. And uh, mm-hmm. it's just one of these lessons yeah, I'll, I'll, that I'll humanity seems to need relearning. Sorry, go ahead.
1: Um, the, that uh, incident with all uh, that farmland was burnt down, well, was the singing that, that song about the fire brigade, burn it down. And they was also singing uh, the kill the boar. Um, which is actually in a court case, they they, they have sort of certified that singing that is considered hate speech, even though no charges have been brought against them. But that, that rally where they were singing that was actually they were protesting a court case for two guys that stabbed a, a young farmer to death and hung him up on a pole so that everyone could see. Um, and they were protesting the court case against the farm murders—the
0: farm murder is that have been caught. Right, right. So, yeah, yeah. yeah because it's my I, tribe. I, it's I my tribe, right it. or wrong. Yeah, I mean that's that's the vast majority of the world. It's my tribe, right or wrong, and and the right or wrong doesn't really matter. It's my tribe, right or wrong, and you know, Same. whites as a whole have universal a universal approach or concept to ethics, which you know, has certainly great value philosophically and culturally and civilizationally. But, you know, unfortunately, when you live in a world where tribalism is the norm and you are a universalist, as I've said before, it's like playing a game of of football where you pass to the other team, but the other team only passes to themselves. Well, you're not going to win. It's uh, just game theory at this point uh, outside of universal ethics. So yeah, that's where things are. Now, uh, do, you, uh, do you have any other options uh, if the UK thing stalls out? Uh, do you have any options? And I don't mean necessarily overseas, but in terms of turning in, and you know, I know it's a very painful thing to, to talk about, but in terms of turning in, your farm and finding uh, maybe a more secure or, or gated community. You said you had a day job, of course, as an engineer in the past to get something like that, potentially again, to sort of wait out an exit strategy. just
1: the house um um which okay so I
0: could give a- you but you are you still losing money on the farm as a whole
1: now during lockdown, but uh, yeah, not, not like But you still
0: need to have the day job to survive, right? Yes. I mean, listen, There, there's, there's passionate affairs and passionate relationships that men have that cause massive self-destruction. You know, you, you fall in love with some dangerous woman or you fall in lust with some dangerous woman. And a lot of men kind of run off the cliff after their rolling testicles, and take them on a ride Uh, from which there is no recovery, and I just, you know, from the outside, hey, I I respect farmers, I think you guys are fantastic, I I love having food on on the table, which, you know, it's not like my podcasting directly summons any crops to stuff down my gullet, so I'm, I'm thrilled, but if you still have to have your day job, and you're significantly at risk, again, you're in a more secure farm, but it's, you know, a matter of time, right? Uh, help me understand this 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 passion for growing things that has you stay out in these remote and pretty vulnerable locations
1: uh, <laughs> uh, i don't know it's difficult to explain i like I, once you two... no i just can't I find it difficult to be in the city now like I've got used to the quiet out there like I've, if I, if I go stay at a friend's place or whatever there's just so much noise around and that and I suppose maybe maybe I get used to it over time but you know if there's any noise and then I'm, I'm up all night and that because
0: we are up I'm all night anyway. Yeah <laughs> It's just that the noise of the city isn't necessarily yeah. people with machetes. Yeah, uh, I have been thinking about it lately. I'm not. I'm not trying to get between you and your passion. Lord knows, I know a little bit yeah. of something about dangerous passions, <laughs> given that I mm-hmm. do what I do for a living. So I know a little bit about about dangerous yeah. passions for sure.
1: I also, I was, yeah, I thought the uh, like the the this job in the states and then in the UK and that were were sort of short things and coming fairly close. So I, I figured like. Uh, there was no point in moving and then moving again, and then you know, trying to get a short-term lease and stuff. Uh, but obviously, if yeah, because you thought well, it like might just be a couple falls. of months, right,
0: or whatever. Yeah. Right. Right.
1: But uh, now that it's looking like it might fall through, uh, I've been considering it more.
0: Right. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to know the general trajectory of South Africa is to return to its original state,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? I mean, if, if you drive out all of the competent farmers, and what is it, each farm feeds like 15,000 people? I mean, it's, it's crazy how productive these farms are. And, of course, the majority of people in South Africa are not farmers and not even employed. A, a significant proportion of the population is not even employed. And the trajectory of South Africa is... To return to its original state, and and the original state by by that I mean it actually will empty out, right? Because the farmers will leave, or die, or stop being farmers, and the food production will diminish considerably. And there may not be a whole lot of international food aid in the time of COVID. And oh, then... I think it's actually probably to a, a worse
1: state because at least back in the day there was a lot more game in that. Um, uh-huh, whereas right now that that game doesn't exist well, not in
0: the the size of herds that they used to, you know. Well, what I mean by returning to its original state is empty, yeah. I mean, well, what Africa I'm meaning will. is that, that,
1: uh, yeah, in, in when, when the Bantus uh, and the, the whites first came to this country uh well it wasn't a country at that point but the, the, this region there was there was a lot of game so that even though they didn't farm they could feed themselves off of hunting in it and like most of the world the wild game just doesn't exist anymore in uh in an amount to support a population
0: yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a good. That's a very good point, of course, right? Very good point. I mean, and, and how much the game comes back when, when the land empties out is obviously an open question. It will certainly come back to some degree if it's still around at all. But mm-hmm. the largely empty land with the Koi and the Sand people, uh, that seems to me likely how the trajectory is going to go. I mean, we know for a simple fact that the expropriation of the land and of the farms generally goes through a political crony process where people just sell off the pieces and uh, don't get involved in the farming which is particularly challenging so yeah the farms are going to lie fallow the farms are going to and, and and lying fallow doesn't mean that the soil gets enriched right because when the farms lie fallow they're not being irrigated and the irrigation is the key in such a dry climate so uh they, mm-hmm. they're going to return to non-farmable status right topsoil could blow away that you yeah, know it, a, it's, a, it's lost in to a brutal climate like this um
1: uh... You, if you, your fallow land actually degrades the desert, um,
0: it, you, you actually need livestock on the land to, to be able to cycle those nutrients. Oh, I get the it's fertilizer, cool. right? And, and the cow manure and all of that. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and once the topsoil is gone, I mean, it's gone. I mean, and, and the desert returns. And, uh, and as you say, because there isn't the game there, which used to, of course, at least keep some nutrients in the soil. Uh, it could, yeah, you're right. It could return to like almost like the moon with oxygen. So to speak, right? So, pretty much, uh, yeah. And and that is the trajectory, and uh, there doesn't seem to be anything in particular that would interfere with that trajectory. And whether people will learn anything from that trajectory, I don't know. Seems doubtful. <laughs> I mean, after looking at the 20th century and how much people, how much it cost people to hate particular groups, and now everyone's just doing it again at the. 21st century it just seems like people haven't learned that much so you know as the old saying goes in life the lessons increase in harshness until you either learn the lessons or you're dead and so yeah as far as the future goes with South Africa and you know I it sort of breaks my heart to say this it is a beautiful country full of some wonderful people and but yeah the future is um, is pretty mapped out by the way that things are going and there doesn't seem to be much pushback against the general Marxist narrative and there really isn't much to be done uh, as far as this goes. And I, I know that there's pushbacks, and I appreciate that of people pushing back with court cases and so on. But uh, that is a finger in a dike, so to speak, as far as the inevitable consequence goes. And so, uh, you know, again, were I in your shoes, it's like really hard for me to say, because, of course, you're wed to the land as well. Uh, I, I don't have that same attachment, in a sense, because my family's history goes back, I mean... I wasn't even born in the UK. I was born in Ireland. My father's family in Ireland goes back a thousand years. Uh, my mother's family in Germany goes back um, at least that far, as far as I know. But for me, that's not the case. Right? Born in Ireland, grew up in England, lived for a little while in South Africa, came to Canada, and so on. So I don't have that same rootedness to the soil, uh, to the land, that people who have been in America or or South Africa for you know three, four hundred years or more. So I, I, you know, I say this with the full understanding that it's it's a lot easier for me to say, you know, up and move, which again I know you've really been considering. But I just want to make sure I don't leave you with any impression, at least from my standpoint, that there's a redemption arc or a twist at the end of the story of South Africa.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. There It doesn't seem to. Uh, I think it's going to get
0: a lot worse before it gets better. Uh, I think. What's yeah, the getting better scenario that uh, is is in your mind? I I don't see it, and I'm certainly you know you live there and you know the place much much better than I do. What's the getting better scenario that you see?
1: Well, I think as you said, the the, the arc is back to to a much lower population, and and uh, you know a lot of people are going to die with it, no food in that. So maybe in a couple of generations when. It's back to a small population and stuff. When people are starving, maybe they'll then, I don't know, see the error in their ways. And But there will be a long way down the road before that, that could happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and until we start to understand more basic facts about the world, it does seem to be the case that even if that happens, people will panic. Uh, well, you know what happened in Zimbabwe, right? I mean, in Zimbabwe, they... yeah drove out the white uh, farmers. they started not to
1: it I'm sorry? Uh, yeah, I don't see it happening in my lifetime.
0: Right, right, yeah. yeah. In Zimbabwe, they drove out the white farmers. They all started to starve to death, and then they begged the white farmers to come back. Uh, but, of course, uh, there were few takers in that scenario. So, yeah, it is, unfortunately, it's a, it's a longer arc than even a young man these days might be able to live to see. So, And, and you know, until we learn some more basic facts about the reality... It's not going to uh, it's, it's going to just be another cycle. And you know the way the cycle goes, that uh, there's smart people gain control of resources. They maximize those resources, and then the sophists move in and say that the, the rich, smart people are only smart and rich because they stole from everyone. They provoke all of this hatred. And then they decapitate the smart people's access to resources, everything crashes, and then they beg the smart people to take over the resources again, and then the whole damn thing starts all over again. <laughs> That's what's going to happen as long as you have a government. So, yeah, it's not a particularly good arc. So, yeah, I, I mean, I want to validate your... like. There's anxiety that that is more internal, you know, like if, if people are, I don't know, agoraphobic, like fear, fear of open spaces, right? So... Okay, open spaces aren't going to harm you, so it's something that you can work and say, okay, what's the psychological origin of this? And you can compare it to reality, and you can say it's not a rational fear, which doesn't mean it's not real. It just means you've got to try and philosophize your way into comparing your fear to that which is real in the world. Uh, but this is not your situation at all. Right? This is not, you, you, there's no such thing as murderous thief a phobia right that's yeah. that's not a thing right that's that's like lionophobia shark in the water a phobia no that's not that's not a real thing uh, and so you know i'm i'm not here to talk you out of any anxieties you might be experiencing cuz yeah i mean you're right in my opinion you're right to feel these things you're right to fear these things and i'm certainly glad that you're in a m- more secure position now and i get that you know being in the city can be a drag if you've got used to country living but uh some gates and some guards is probably not the worst way to wait out an exit strategy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But tell me what you, what would be most valuable for you to get out of this, this conversation?
1: Uh, I don't know, uh, so like when I, uh, I emailed you, I said I don't really know if there was a solution or, or anything. Uh, I just kind of felt, like, 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 if I if I did get killed, that someone at least knows what was happening, and that it's not just lost to history, you know, another uh, nameless, faceless death. You know. So but, uh,
0: let's, I mean, if uh, obviously uh, everybody on the planet hopes well, hopefully everybody on the planet hopes this never happens. But if you were to die from this situation, and a speech were to be played at your funeral what would you want that speech to be i mean if you want to tell me tell the world as a whole what you want people to understand about what's going on uh, I, I think
1: we we pretty much covered that and you know what is happening and just that the rest of the world can can know about what's happening and not just get the sort of politically correct rainbow nation narrative
0: um. so your plan is to stay to continue to work for an exit strategy which again i know has made all the tougher through through covet uh, but you've got you're in a more secure location and you say better electric fencing and much less predation so your goal is to stay to continue to work on an exit strategy. Uh, and, and that's, that's the plan. And, and you know, I mean, certainly I assume that you're feeling uh, slightly more comfortable than your new farm.
1: Uh, well, I was until, until that, uh, attack, uh, a couple of weeks back with the family. got With the up.
0: neighboring farm, right?
1: Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, we, we, I think we got a, uh, meeting with an immigration lawyer, um, uh, well, yeah, Zoom meeting or something, but uh, this week, I think. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. And I think depending on that, you know, if we can see a way forward there, then I'll probably stay on, yeah, until, until I can go. But if, if that's not looking good, then I'll, I'll probably be looking at moving to town again.
0: And there are still some safe neighborhoods or gated communities where you can feel some, some peace of mind?
1: Uh, better, better than our child. Um, so the crime rates in, in South Africa are, are pretty high. Um, but it's def, definitely worse being a farmer. Uh, the, the, the one stat I heard was apparently, uh, as a, as a South African farmer, the death rate for South African farmers, is, is, is higher than a deployed uh, military person in Iraq in it. Right, so, right.
0: Uh, uh, it's while, complete water.
1: Yeah. Uh, we, have, we have pretty high murder rates and stuff in this country. Uh, uh, yeah, I think it's like eight times
0: more likely to get killed
1: if you're a, if you're a white farmer.
0: Right. Oh yeah no it is it is a brutally targeted group and it is part of the slow suicide of the anti-rational forces right that, that I mean talk about killing the goose that lays the golden egg uh, it is um yeah. it is going to be brutally hard for the blacks right i mean obviously there's sympathy for the whites there's sympathy for the blacks as well because they're swallowing all this propaganda and and of course most blacks honorable decent people but the extremists are really being motivated by this propaganda to the point where they are going to cause the deaths of i would imagine countless countrymen both black and white as a result of uh, food shortages uh, you know we i think about this you know i would not say continuously but i think about this like okay you need your 2000 2500 calories a day that's not easy it's not easy to get a hold of. He sort of sit there because I lived in the woods, right? And so, you know, if you if you look in the woods, it's like, yeah, that's a lot of berries, man. It's a lot of roots and tubes and a you know, rabbit or two. But, you know, it's it's really tough getting that amount of calories uh, a day. And, you know, without farmers, we 99% of the population just can't do it. And we're all in this inverted pyramid resting upon the willingness to work insanely hard that the farmers have. And when you start targeting and attacking them, it's almost like they're driven by... The agenda, you know, there's this agenda among some people to like reduce the world's population significantly. It's like, well, you couldn't do a better job than convincing people to target the farmers. I mean, that that's going to drop the world population pretty damn quickly, and um, it's a real shame that it's succeeding so well. But you know, again, we can lead a man to water, but you can't make him think. So, all right. Well, listen, will you will you keep me posted about? how it's going with you um, I will obviously think about about what's going on and um, you know if there's anybody who has uh, thoughts or experiences or, or can help uh, please please contact me operations at freedomain.com. and uh, keep, keep me posted and I, I certainly wish you the very best I'm so incredibly sorry about this entire situation I'm I'm even more sorry that though it's inevitable that the leftist media is is covering all this stuff up and it just shows the hatred. There's a lot of anti-white hatred that, that's out there at the moment, or anti-Christian hatred, I think, to be more specific. So uh, I'm I'm sorry about all of this. I, I certainly wish you the very best, and uh, uh, you know, obviously, I, I hope desperately that you stay safe. And if there is anybody out there with expertise in this area, uh, then let me know. And also, listen, uh, just your know, personal offer from from me to you, if. There is some cash that you need for uh, an immigration lawyer. I know, like, you lost money on the farm and and all of that. If there's money that you need to help you get out, uh, please, 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 I'm, I beg you, email me and uh, I'll sort it out for you. And uh, you can consider it a loan, a gift, it doesn't really matter. But if there's some amount of money that you need in order to get out, um, please let me know and uh, we'll we'll get you out, all right?
1: Oh, Thank you very much, Steph, for that offer. Uh, I, I actually, I've, I've got re- reasonable savings for that That uh, the last year, especially um, with the lockdown. I haven't been able to spend much money. <laughs> and uh, uh, so I've been able to put some away. And then having not, not being farming anymore, uh, I've been able to and not being able to socialize. I've, I've spent a lot more time doing private engineering jobs and that
0: as well. So... Uh, been able to put some aside for for that good well, i'm uh, certainly glad to hear that but uh and, and this uh this is going out yeah. to everybody who's trying to get out of south africa if, if it is a big money thing just let me know and we'll see what we could do so all right well listen keep in touch thank you so much for keeping us up to date on the situation this is the kind of information that people really really desperately need to hear uh in in the west so um thank you so much and thank you everyone for supporting the show freedomain.com forward slash donate have yourselves a great great day i will talk to you soon thanks